Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine. Goldmine is the music collector's magazine since 1974, focusing on the music collecting hobby, which is everything from record collecting to music memorabilia across all generations and all genres, but usually centering on the most classic artists of rock and roll. If you don't already subscribe, please do at goldminemag.com. You can pick up the magazine, the most current magazine issue, at select Barnes & Noble and Books A Million Newsstands. If you can't find it there, you can order it online at our store, shop.goldminemag.com, where you can also get vinyl records, CDs, and collectibles. Now... Our subject of this episode is singer-songwriter based in Moscow, Nash Albert. Now, I just wanted to add that this interview was done before the invasion of Ukraine, and this intro was originally done a few days after such invasion. Now, there's this assumption that anyone who lives in Russia or is Russian automatically backs the Russian-led forces that are attacking Ukraine, which is not the case. Nash Albert was born in Georgia, so he knows very well the horrors of such an invasion and does not stand for it. Now with that, let's talk about the music of Nash Albert because it is really good and it should not be overlooked. It's a unique brand of rock and roll, and quite frankly, one of the best albums so far in 2022. His music is rock and roll, but eclectic, and quite frankly, refreshing. We need more rock and roll like this uh, in a decade that seems to lack powerful rock music in general. Nash was born in Georgia, the country and grew up in Moscow. Um, Nash Albert grew up in, well, he grew up on rock records smuggled into the USSR uh, when he was a kid. And he then he formed a band called Salamandra. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, him and the band moved out to LA where, well, they didn't find a lot of success, but they developed important connections in the music world. When he returned to Moscow in the late 90s, he formed another band called Blast, which became very popular in Russia. But in 2014, he decided to produce his own solo music. And that's where we are now as he releases his first solo album called Yet, which is really worth picking up. And you'll hear some snippets, some samples throughout the podcast episode. So we'll be right back after this message with Nash Albert calling from Moscow, and he would tell his interesting story. How are you? Very good. Very good. I quite like the new album yet. Thank Um, you. Thank you. So it is is very good. And you're turns out you are a seasoned musician. You've uh you're a veteran. You, you've been, <laughs> I mean, you've been on the Los Angeles scene. You've been in the, on the UK scene, uh, Russia. Been 
I've been everywhere, man. South Africa, Europe, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start from the beginning so listeners can understand uh, Nash Albert. Um, originally, you're from a country called Georgia. It was formerly the Soviet Union. Yeah. I'm Georgian, and I was born there, but I was raised in Moscow because my father was was very well-known physicist and he was like acting in Moscow. He was director of Institute of Nuclear Research in Moscow. Gotcha. So I was raised here. I finished school here, then university. And then after university, I went to States with my band for six years, man. Yeah. I was reading in your bio how you got turned on to rock and roll from yeah. smuggled records. What, what kind of records were... I mean, yeah, when we were kids, it was impossible to buy a record in the shop. You know, there was no, I mean, no foreign records in the shops. So basically, we were getting them from smugglers or our parents or relatives who were going abroad. They were bringing some records back. So when I was six years old, it was my father. He came back from Japan. He was lecturing in Japan. And he brought me two cassettes. Do you remember cassettes? Uh, it was Superstar, Jesus Christ, Rock Opera, and the Best of Beatles. And I was blown away, man. I thought, I mean, I immediately, I just, I don't know, I was, I was a kid. But I, it was so attractive and it was so mind-blowing that in, probably in three months' time, I knew all the songs. I couldn't play, but I was singing them. I just knew a little bit of English. But I knew all the melodies and, you know, that was the time when I decided I'm going to play rock and roll. And you picked up a guitar? You, you yeah, I picked up guitar a little bit, bit earlier when I was 10, 11. I had an awful Soviet guitar, man, with these thick strings. It was just my <laughs> fingers were bleeding. <laughs> it didn't have a sound at all, but at least, you know, it could get some sounds out of the chords and it was amazing. Pop music, if it wasn't smuggled, what was pop music in Russia at the time? It was mostly uh, pop music, like all the singers, all the Soviet composers writing songs for singers. There were songs about basically about nothing, about how they love Soviet Union, you know, this yeah. all this shit, man. It was it was junk, man, to be honest. So it was like I mean, there were some great melodies. There were some <laughs> great melodies. Right. There were a lot of talented people that, but because of they were censored, they had to sing shit. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I understand. I know what I mean. Yeah, right. It wasn't their emotions necessarily; it was the state. Um, then, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, so to speak, you went directly to California, right? Uh, oh, it was uh, no, 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 no. It was a little bit. Uh, I think it was yeah, probably the same when I was sixteen. Or yeah. 17, I was in college, Moscow State University, and Perestroika started. So we were allowed to sing in English and play rock and roll. And it was like small student union. And we had a we had a like gear to play live live gigs. And we started to play live gigs, you know, in front of students. Then I mean we became pretty popular in college circuit in Moscow. Then uh we, we got invitation from University of Belgium. So we went to Belgium. It was my first trip abroad in 1988, I think. And it was very successful because, I mean, 
first gig, which was 3,000 Belgian students come to see Russians. Was, who are they then? They called us right. We were Georgians, but they were called Russians. Everybody was Russian. Right. <laughs> and it was pretty successive. Success, a uh, few gigs we played. They came back, and then in two years' time, we flew to States. And hmm. it lasted for six years. But it was, you know, like any entertainment center, it's hard to compete. Yeah. I think that's the first thing you, you said in your bio that you found out. Um, but you did meet some good connections there. Yeah, you know, because it started like uh, we met a guy in Moscow. There was lots of foreigners, Americans coming to Moscow, do businesses and stuff. And there was one guy. He was uh, trying to find some bands, you know, to bring them back to stage. So we met him and he invited us and he said, hey, guys, come down. I'll do a little tour for you. And uh, let's see how it goes. So basically, we flew to States. It was like six of us, like four band members and two friends. And we had $200. That's it. Wow. We didn't, we didn't have a clue, man, where we were going. To be we just knew States from magazines, you know, from all these nice pictures. And we thought, yeah, man, we're going to do it like this. So we flew down. We played this, those gigs. Then we met another guy, the booking agent. And that's how it started. You know, we we're doing lots of gigs around, mostly down south, hmm. driving old van. You know, it was real rock and roll life. And it, to be honest, it was my first experience of real rock and roll. You know what I mean? Right. That's, well, that's in, in the south of uh, in America, right? That, yeah, that must yeah, have been yeah. a yeah. interesting <laughs> culture yeah. shock. No, yeah, it was pretty much culture shock because, you know, we had to do a lot of jobs to get money, you know, because music right. wasn't fitting us. So we're doing all sort of things, you know, but that was a hell of experience. I'm sure it was, but then you moved back to Moscow, right, in the mid-90s? In 96, I came back to Moscow, and it was a totally different city, man. It was such a free city. People were partying 24-7, and lots of clubs, lots of live music. Lots of great bands were here playing at this time. And I put my band together called Blast. Mm. And we became extremely popular within a couple of months in Moscow club circuit. Because, I mean, I came back with hell of experience. I, will, I, will, I knew Nirvana, I knew Pearl Jam, <laughs> I knew real American rock and roll. I was like, it's, I, when I was in Soviet Union, I was mostly listener and imitator of these things. But in America, I've learned that the way that rock and roll is the way to leave. Basically, that's how you leave. So I had hell of experience, and we put band together, and it went really, really good, man. You made an interesting comment about uh, Moscow in the mid '90s. It came oh, with a lot of freedom, but there was also a lot of corruption and crime. Yeah, but I mean, we didn't care, man. We were musicians then. Gangsters, <laughs> right, gangsters right. loved us. Businessmen loved us. Students loved us. You know, foreigner expats loved us. We had a great time. <laughs> How do you compare the music scene now to to then uh, in Russia? Uh, in yeah. Moscow, yeah, I think uh, in nineties it was much more wide open. Yeah, lots of different interesting bands. Now it's pretty boring because then when the radio stations come started to take power, AR guys, you know, yeah. they mostly started to push the bands who were singing in Russia, Russian. Yes. 
So bands were singing in English, you know, they stayed on the club level. We were still cool, but bands were singing in Russia, they were promoted by TV, by radio. So they picked up and now, they, now they're big bands in Russia, but it's still boring, man. I don't think Russian rock and roll is an exciting thing, man, to be honest. Did you ever try singing some of your music in, in native tongue in, in Russia? Russian? Yeah, I did a couple of Russian songs and they were very successful. They were in, in radio. A couple of them became hits. Do you think that English just has better harmonies to work with? I think it's, uh, to be honest, uh, I think the in- English language is very natural to rock and roll, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it comes together with the roots of rock and roll. So it's very Makes natural sense. compared with Italian, Russian, German, you name it. That's Makes my sense. opinion. Yeah. Now let's talk about the Yet album. Yeah. Now, what I do love about long playing albums, full albums, <laughs> is if they're eclectic, and they have certain accents in the music, and you do both well. Um, you, you, I hear a lot of Dylan, Bowie, um, Beatles, yeah. Yeah. even Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um, I, I like when you take it and give it a. Uh, you'll go from singing a song, a driving song, and then start off another song like Leonard Cohen talking sort of spoken word poetry. (laughs) That's how it came, to be honest. This album came very naturally, you know. The story of this album is that a friend of mine who played together in States, I came back to Moscow, started my other bad blast. He went to Georgia and became a very successful businessman. So one day he called me and said, hey, man, I built the studio in the mountains. Why don't you just come down Let's get together with old mates so from Salamandra, like four of us who were in States. But let's record something exciting. Let's at least try. So I flew down. And, you know, it just came out so naturally because we were free of any cliches. You know, now a lot of young bands, they're thinking about sound. Oh, man, we should keep the same sound in yes. the, during the <laughs> album. Or, and I think it's all, it's a pile of shit, man. And we were just too free. Predictable. Yeah. Mm. We were free, we were doing songs, and we were doing exactly what we felt the song needs. If it needs screaming, I was screaming. If it is low, I was doing lows. If it needs guitars, it had guitars. If it needs keyboard, I mean, it, it, I mean, we just we were just doing something exciting, which was exciting for us. I would, because uh, most of the album, I mean, in sixties, the story was the pretty much the same because bands were experimenting a lot. Right now, you listen to the new bands. It, it, every song, the sound is the same. Pretty much, they might have an one hit. Right. The rest of all the album is boring. So we were just we were just doing songs. And- it's true. I, I completely agree with you. Um, the music becomes too predictable. It becomes yeah. boring. Um, that's why I like eclectic albums because it. It challenges you. It gives you. You don't know what's next. You, yeah. you know, you go through the, the very, you know, various emotions, yeah. um, and that's what, like you said, a lot of albums in the '60s, like Sgt. Pepper, or yeah, exactly um, that I wanted to say. Yeah, and now I like how you start out. The opener is a driving rock and roll song called "Kill, Kill the, the Fear." Fear. Kill the Fear, yeah. 
because it's um, it takes it's a take on the emotion that is really it's it's ruling the human psyche right now, exactly. um, and it's a shame, and it's it's all it's everything. It's COVID. It's politics. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's you name yeah. it. And you know what? I, the whole idea of this song is that we were talking. You know, we had a lot of time in studio and we were sitting lots of time talking, discussing, sharing thoughts. There, there's a lot of fears inside all of us mm-hmm. who's stopping us from developing, who's stopping us from risking, who's stopping us to do something, to develop as a person, you know what I mean? To, to be strong, to be honest, to be straightforward, because you're afraid, oh, well, if I say this, then it's going to come back to, you know what I mean, yeah? Yes. And, and this song, it, just this song was written right in the studio and recorded in three takes, just within a couple, three hours, man. It was just yeah. experimental song, mostly jamming. And the whole idea is that this fears, which stopping us from developing to a better person, to a stronger person, and you should, you should deal with it and you should kill it, man. And that's how most uh, creativity is oppressed by fear. You're right. Yeah, suppressed by fear. You're right. And uh, some <laughs> some leaders like that, but uh, um, you know, socially, they don't want music or culture to challenge anything. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. They they'd rather keep it flat, keep them like a bunch of sheep. You know. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the sad thing is that, like millions and millions of people of people are becoming captives of some political idiot ambitions. You know, You're right? And that's very sad. That's what I see around. Look at Ukraine. Look at Georgia. Look at uh, Arabic countries. I mean, look at Middle East. I mean, it's terrible because of somebody's stupid ambitions like thousands of people are dying and they're captives of their ambitions a lot of people don't don't think for themselves and just follow them right and Um, this propaganda is terrible man i mean it comes from tv it comes from the radio it comes from the internet you know it just and it doesn't matter what country it's all countries no 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 now it's i think it's a propaganda times all the countries are doing are competing in who's has the best propaganda Anti-science, anti-fact. It's really scary, actually. Um, Now, one of my favorite songs is Cocaine Hangover. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) not (laughs) subject matter. It's just such a good song. Yeah, the story of this song, 
It was written actually 10 years ago. Uh, we had a gig, then we were partying all night long with all the stuff, you name it. And it was like nine in the morning and we were sitting drinking beer still, you know, and it was American Starlight Diner in Moscow. It was 20, open yeah. 24 hours. So we're having beer. And uh, suddenly the whole idea came to my head and I said to the guys, hey man, let's go to the studio. I want to do some demo. And I did the demo of this song and it was on the shelf for 10 years. And when I was recording yet, it came out to my head, I don't know, spontaneously. Yeah. And we just decided to play it, try it and build it up, build it up and eventually came to the song, man. It's hard to believe that song was shelved for 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. It was written in 2010, I think, maybe 2009 even. And thankfully, you, know, you released it. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything has its time, man, I think. It's coming from above. Everything, success, failure, has its time, you know? But that, I think the song that is the catchiest is Sunrise. I don't oh, Sunrise. Get that. Maybe you're another one who tries to find the way to paradise. Maybe you're another one who tries to find the way to paradise. Maybe it's another which will take towards the sunrise Maybe it's another dream Which will guide to the daylight Something about that just um, stayed in my head. The harmony, the just the music alone of the song. Now I know you... You have videos out for Autumn Rain. Yeah, lost in Jerusalem. Lost in Jerusalem. And we've got to release one more video, maybe a couple of weeks for the last song, And Yet. Ah, okay. But I but think Sunrise, Sunrise should be given a chance to be promoted. Yeah, we might do it. We might. I mean, it's released already, but we might do a video on it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But it's a good song. And basically, that's the song which was written in studio. And uh, it was written, our drummer played a drum loop. We looped it. And then I was sitting with the keyboards and putting <coughs> some harmonies and singing. And it just, the song, whole song came out in a few days in the studio by experimenting, you know. Hmm. You even do uh, um, a total acoustic um, Marbella. Yeah, yeah. Marbella. Baby. One day it'll all be gone Gone where the wind would blow One cloudy afternoon So it's not just all electric. Like I said, it's very eclectic. Um, you know, in Marbella, we especially, when we were recording Marbella, first I tried to record on acoustic guitar. But we didn't get quite right feeling. So we went to the music shop. We bought the shittiest guitar for $10, maybe with <laughs> nylon strings. And that's how we played. And it was perfect for this song. The sound just matched it so perfectly. So this guitar is recorded. It's 10 or $15 guitar, small nylon string for the kids. 
I heard the same story about when Nirvana recorded Polly. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Cobain bought a $10 guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to re-record it, but the $10 (laughs) guitar sounded better. Exactly. (laughs) Just gives a different feel because a lot of music today sounds um, like it's got the same production, you know? Yeah, you've got to make... We were thinking when we were recording this album to make something unusual, unexpected. I mean, everybody expected to play acoustic guitar with iron strings, you know, and metal yeah. strings or whatever. But suddenly when you hear this kind of a weird sound, that's what grabs you. And basically the sound of this shit, the guitar perfectly matched the like, like a mood of the song, mm-hmm. man. Well, I think when Keith Richards recorded the riff just uh, Street Fighting Man on a yeah. cassette recorder and then yeah. used that. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and do you know that Satisfaction is their demo version? Yeah. It's... Yeah. The, it's the just, manager just took it and brought it to the radio. They never <laughs> recorded properly. That that is better the demo tape, man. And and that's what made these, I think, songs so distinctive, right? Yeah, because exactly. um, nowadays, I don't know what it is. You feel like the production all sounds the same. It's too. I'm not going to say it's too modern. I'm not going to say it's too uh, digital. It's becoming boring, man. It's becoming boring when you're listening to the ten songs that. They sound pretty much the same. I mean, on the third or fourth song, it's, I mean, you're just losing interest of listening further, you know, that's that's what I feel, you know. And like I was, just to go back to the album, yeah, I think that the songs, you do a good job in production. And this is what was great about psychedelic bands in the 60s, always yeah. adding accents, uh, whether it be a little bit of horns, a little bit of different, um musical instruments that no one would expect i think you did that at on the last song yeah i think you had some musical instruments i'm not sure what but you can hear it yeah loads of keyboards loads of little guitars and the solo played by bass which we put through the moog you know Just unique. We even recorded the we're thunder on the beginning of Kakeru. It's a real thunder which we recorded outside of studio. Right. Yeah. yeah, no one is experimenting like that. Yeah, I mean, we were just having fun, you know. We were, yeah. we're there was no rush, there was no AR guys hanging over you and telling what you gotta do. <laughs> we were just having a head of, that's what the bands were doing in the 60s. I mean, yeah, you know, Beatles had such a big freedom, man. They had Abbey Road Studios for a year booked. Yeah, of course I know. Were, that's what's made great, but then it's becoming, took, their music became more, the more commercialized, more and more dictated by the A&R and some stupid people 
Now, name, you name me one band in the last five years. None. I really can't. It all, you know, all the bands in the early 2000s, there was a lot of good stuff, especially coming out of the UK. Yeah, there was some great. The last big thing was, I would say, Coldplay. That's it. Yeah, and then they they started. They, I wouldn't say I don't like using the word sold out, but they gave in to the I don't know if you want to call it traditional pop sound of today. Yeah, yeah. you know where they had something so unique, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. The first album was amazing. Second it was, was. Great, but then they turned into I don't know, man. They they were listening <laughs> to the commerce people, but you yeah. know whatever but i wish you all the luck with this new album man and i hope that people catch on in the states thank um, you what are you planning on touring the states or is that you know what uh basically we just started the campaign because album right. was just released and it will right. be digital uh, physically released on 18th of february in states right uh i mean we'll see how the pr campaign goes and uh we'll see where we go but i would love to do some touring states maybe in summer, whatever, I don't know. But we're getting a lot of good press and good, you know, reviews in Europe. So probably in Germany, because we're assigned to German label, MIG right. Music. So we probably will be touring Europe. And if, if God's will, we'll come to States if things will pick up. I mean, there should be a reason for coming. Right, to right, right. You know, sooner or later, COVID's going to break, and then we... Yeah. And, and in the end of March, I'm still going to Georgia to same studio, and we're going to record second album. Oh, good. Loads of material, man, loads. So. But I hope this album doesn't get lost. I think this is a really yeah, good man. album. Well, thank you so much, Nash. Thank you. Thank you very much. And wish you all the best with the new album. I'll promote it at my end. Thank you very much. All Thanks, the best. Man. Have, Have a good a day. day. Thank you. <laughs> the best Gee. nash albert thank you so much nash for the interview and listeners you can pick up the album yet mig music put it out you can pick it up at your local record store order it or go to nashalbert.com n-a-s-h-a-l-b-e-r-t.com okay everyone Hope you enjoy this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. And also don't forget to go to goldminemag.com. Also go to shop.goldminemag.com, like I said, to get vinyl albums, CDs, all your collectible needs. So we'll see you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. Bye now. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.